This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Alright, we're live. Finally. We're freaking live. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, holy smokes, Cody Heidschmidt. You know, I enjoy controversy. I think you enjoy controversy. We enjoy making people think. We enjoy making people discuss things. I've had a pretty heavy week, and it's only Wednesday. <laughs> I know, all because of you and your damn social media. Me and my social media. I, uh, I was on a radio. Uh, a couple of things that actually didn't hit social media ways. I was on a radio interview for a Mississippi radio station talking about CWD in Mississippi, which got a little contentious. Um, then we decided to put a social media post out about definitions of public lands, which, um, got Matt Brunella's, uh, Hunt Quietly crew, uh, riled up a little bit. I would, um, I would go ahead and say they're pissed off at us. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I look at the bright side of things. I look at the silver lining of the cloud. Right. I had a couple of people that, uh, 
you know, we had a couple of bombs thrown into the mix that we had to defuse, and I feel like we defused a couple of bombs, so that was pretty good, and had a really good conversation with um, Dave, who runs the Hunt Quietly social media page, and said that we're going to either get him or Matt on a separate podcast to talk about public lands, and that we were going to get the Land Trust guys out here on a podcast to talk about public lands. And, you know, the, the whole controversy last time, Cody, was that um, you had received an email from Matt Ranella burning us at the stake, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you could, Riled up doesn't do that justice. He was pissed at us. Um, and I will, you know, I, as I explained in last week's roundup, Matt and I talked. He kind of brought it. He, he, I, I'm not claiming that I got him not mad at us, but he did calm down and have a little bit of understanding. Matt is definitely uh, not happy with land trust and not happy with blood origins because we accepted land trust as a supporter of our. Uh, well, let's be honest, and this is the that's this is the crux of the matter, right? What did we? What was the deal, quote unquote? And the deal was that they're running a podcast promo in the month of February. Uh, that they paid us to run to just see how it worked. Are they interested in working with us or not? We said, sure, no problems. You know, pay us our our required CPM uh, through a promo, a marketing promo, and we'll put it on there. No worries, no farm, no foul. Well, definitely a foul in this uh, instance. But I think Cody, um, you probably know better than I. But based on the the, the conversations I had through social media the DMs, the comments, and whatnot, it seems like the crux of the matter is this. That land trust is taking currently existing private ground that is publicly accessible through block management, walk-in, that kind of stuff, and is taking that out and away from the public eye, public opportunity space and then putting it in a pay-to-play space. I capture that correctly? Uh, yeah, Matt's frustration with with land trust is their removal of acreage from the block management program in Montana, and we wouldn't be for that either. No. We both said that. We no, said no, if you're actively going after that, that's ridiculous. That's just nonsensical. Even if it's inadvertently so, happening, I don't think it's a good thing. It doesn't mean that I would be mad about land trust about it, but I, I don't think that's a thing that 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 very many people would get behind. But, and the last layer here that you were very adamant about, and I agreed with you, is private property owners' rights to do what they want, when they want, how they want. Exactly. Okay. So Land Trust reached out to us and said, oh, (laughs) what's the issues here? And we told them what we just said. This is the issue. And we asked them point blank. Is this true? And they got back to us. They responded back to us. They responded back to us in writing. And so I want to actually say what they wrote back to us. No, I I agree. And kudos to them for coming to the table for discussion and not just dismissing this as they don't have time for it. 
right? Because I mean, in in all reality, correct. It's it's not a very big part of their operation that we're talking about here. Correct. It's a great part, but it's not. You know, it, I mean, they're proud of it, and it is the state that they're in. That you know that their that their offices are in. Um, but yeah, they got back to us and gave us the. Uh, now it, we got to be very clear about things here that we have absolutely no reason not to believe them. But the data that they, Correct. the data that they've sent us, they even say, to the best of our knowledge, here is the I believe five total Three. total landowners that they are affiliated with, whose land has ever been in the block management program. Yes, five. Five of them, two of which are still in block management. Right. They're just three doing, of which are no longer. They're doing non-hunting activities and they're lodging through land trust. The hunting part of it is still in block management. Three of them, land trust is doing the hunting. Um, but according to land trust, who again, seems completely open and transparent about this so far. Um, all three of those had left block management prior to any conversations. Yeah, it wasn't a direct transfer, right. essentially. They, they it wasn't left. a conversation changed to us. Yeah, uh, you know, there's, there's mention from those landowners of people not following the rules, people leaving dead and wounded animals out on their property when it was in block management. Um, and that's something that, I, I, land trust can't claim that they cure those things, but they do have the ability as a private company to police those things. They know who's out there, right? It's it's another uh, benefit that some of these landowners see as opposed to block management that it's we know the person's name, right? We we, we know who they actually are. Um, so if they do do something, there can be repercussions. Um, but yeah, according to land trust. Only five landowners that were ever in block management are now in land trust. Two of them, the hunting is still in block management, and the other three left block the block program prior to any conversation or any interact. What they didn't leave because of land trust. That's their risk. And they left because of bad experiences. And those uh, uh, land trust, rightfully so, asked us to asked us to keep those five. Not to announce those five landowners' names, that doesn't. Seem but like they that. gave us the information, which was quite impressive of them. Well, and also, you know, invited us to reach out to those landowners as well. You know, said if mm -hmm. we're going to talk mm -hmm. to them, feel free, but just don't release their names without their permission directly. So, um, mm -hmm. I'm going to follow up on that. I mean, why not? Why not see what they have to say about the the. Uh, situation at hand with their land again i don't uh i, I want to say again i'm a giant fan of matt ranella um we got a couple of great texts and instagram dms about how we had this conversation and apparently the conversation pretty i haven't listened to the roundup i don't often listen to the roundup <laughs> because i'm on the thing but apparently the uh land trust commercial came came in pretty quickly right after we had the conversation because we got some great texts from folks commenting on how well that was timed a little bit uh definitely not pre-planned no okay. not at all hear us for what it is it is a it is a mid-roll primo a promo that is set at a certain time Complete we have no idea when it rolled it's probably rolling right now 
yeah, exactly. Well, as we talk about it again, but no, it wasn't planned. Um, I want to I want to thank Land Trust for supporting what we do here, and I want to thank Matt Ranella for keeping a passionate conversation going about things. Matt has a hun- Matt responded to me a hundred percent that he wants to come on and talk about it, so we'll get that scheduled. Tweet. Um, one other controversy since we're on the on the co- topics of controversy. Another controversy tied to the Land Trust ad. Our buddy Joe Swanky, shout out Joe Swanky, uh, upland bird hunter in is he's in Wisconsin, I believe, right, Cody? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, yes. Or Minnesota. Sorry if I messed that up, Joe. Uh, I know that you're listening. Uh, but he felt like the words that I used in the ad, afflicted by this disease, was definitely not appropriate. Uh, not accurate words. Words that uh, have horrible meanings and have complex baggage. Um, and, the, and I'll read his exact statement, the final thing he said. Something that is more closely related to a selfless, passionate love really isn't something that can be described with the same terms as heroin or herpes. <laughs> yeah. yeah Joe, uh, Joe keeps it interesting, that's for sure. He did have one uh, comment on your three S's on the wolf discussion. Shoot, shovel, and shut up. He said, uh, of course, if people really did the third part of it, there would be very, there would be a lot fewer problems. Yeah, it kind of seems like a lot of the triple S people talk about it a lot. <laughs> like, like wearing a shoot, shovel, and shut up shirt is kind of contrary to the shut up part of it. Totally agree. I didn't quite get that until Joe pointed it out. So thank you, Joe. Uh, big shout outs to our conservation club members. We've actually got a couple. One that has just come on board, Wildlife Center at Lenders Ranch. They do a phenomenal job in Wisconsin educating middle schoolers, high schoolers about wildlife, about taxidermy, about trophy hunting. So big shout out to uh, Robert Sergi at the Wildlife Education Center at Legends Ranch. Um, Spartan Precision, who have been with us from the get-go. Phenomenal bipods. Check them out. They're a UK brand. Don't hold that against them. But they are making some phenomenal stuff and actually have just partnered with Primos and their Primos trigger stick to put their, uh, their, their head on that. And then lastly, big shout out to Safari Specialty Importers. They're actually out of Tennessee, Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, Wyatt Hep- uh, Hepner and um, just big shout out to Wyatt. He does a lot of good work in trying to get uh, trophies back from Africa for clients that have hunted there. So two, three good companies in our conservation club. Um, that's all I had from an admin perspective. What you got? Do you got voicemails or text messages? Didn't get any voicemails this week, but we did get some good text Dang, messages. people, come on. I know, 620-860-4804 if you want to leave a voicemail. And as long as it's not, uh, really, there's no rules. We'll just decide if we're going to put it on or not. But Mark from Georgia. Oh, hello, Mark. Mark Williams, the commissioner? Yes. The commish. This is his exact text. Hashtag free Cody. <laughs> and then it says herbivice question mark podcast herbivirisis is what is what it says. I think oh my god Martin, it's just georgian he's a georgian that cannot spell herbivorize he, well I, I believe i don't think it's that he can't spell it i think he's making fun of the word in general i would really quickly when we get it when we get to our guest here i want our guests uh 
Ooh, imagine. Uh, let's hear what let's hear what Dan Gates has to say un, about un- <laughs> things. Yeah, so Mark was upset that you didn't uh, let me be on that podcast. Basically, is what he's saying there. I believe. Free Cody. Uh, let's be honest, Cody. It would not have gone in the right direction. Oh, it would have gone. There's no free coding for that for that podcast. Dan Gates. Um, what do you think about a group that would um, suggest that they want to herbivorize predators? Yeah, that's an interesting deal. And I, yeah, I, I can't even say the word that you said. And, and I think I have a general general idea of what it is, but it makes me wonder where people come from when they start talking about that sort of stuff. And if it's actually uh, some concoction that they come up with to placate to the current landscape and society, or if they actually think they can accomplish it. Well, they don't think that they can accomplish it now. They think they're not even thinking on the decadal scale. They're thinking on the hundred thousand year scale. And that, that podcast is coming out this week. So if you listen to this podcast, stay tuned. It's either coming out tomorrow or Thursday, but it's coming out this week. But um, Dan, they pretty much are the way that they couch it. They want to remove involuntary suffering, um, and they consider themselves suffering abolitionists. <laughs> Stop, Cody. Stop. I can't. You're right. You're... I think they're whack jobs. Dave from Wisconsin texted us and said, <laughs> I have to agree with Cody's initial <laughs> assessment of herbivorize. Seems like a good way to make money without needing to produce any real results. Seems like uh, seems like Dave from Wisconsin just hitting the nail square on the head there. Yeah, anyway, we've we've pounded that enough. The podcast is coming out this week, folks. You listen to it and uh please don't unsubscribe from Blood Origins. Just send us, text us your thoughts on it to 620-860-4804. And don't forget, leave a review and a rating on our podcast. Uh, we have some really cool hats that we don't sell anywhere. Can't buy them. Uh, but we'd like to give them away. So leave us a review. Leave us a rating. Tell your friends about us and tell them to leave a review and a rating. And um, it'll certainly help us from a podcast perspective. Cody. How do they win a hat, though, if they do that? Are there a screenshot it and text it to us? Yeah, screenshot it, text us to us, DM it to us, email it to us, info at bloodorigins.com, or text it to us at... 620-860-4804. This is all I'm good at. There we go. You're pretty good at reciting that text number. I like it. Let's jump into... uh... What about... uh... Possums and raccoons in Florida. What about them? Were there GPS collaring them to track the snakes? Oh shit! How freaking cool is that? I actually was. That is, isn't that like genius? I was genius science. I was reading the article when you. uh... Here's my question: When you recover it, when when you when you can you reuse the GPS collar? Absolutely, hundred percent. Those collars are going to be, you know, they're they're built for they're pretty rugged in terms of the the use in the collars. And for everyone listening, um, the the um, Tampa Bay Times has an article, and you just Google raccoons Florida 
um, tracking collars. This is possums with GPS collars offer a new way to kill Florida pythons. And so the idea is here, put a bunch of tracking collars on possums and raccoons and let these big reticulated pythons, boa constrictors, all the things that are invasive species down there, eat them. And then <laughs> either, either two things are going to happen. One, they track them normally and they can see that their movements have changed. Or typically a collar has a mortality signal associated with it. So when it doesn't move like it's supposed to move, it gives a different signal off. And I would assume that would do the same thing. If a snake eats something, it's going to sort of hunker down and not do anything and move anything, and maybe a mortality signal goes out. But shit, what an amazing, amazing way. The only thing is, oh, maybe this is the next Blood Origins project here, Cody. Should we raise money to put a hundred, five hundred collars out on coons and possums so that we can potentially take out 500 snakes. Okay, let's do this real quick. How scale of 1 to 10 how okay. how bad are the snakes? Bad. 10. And and I, I I have no doubts. This is I'm not formulating an argument in any way here. I genuinely I hear a lot about it. It makes complete sense that a completely invasive predator that large could just jack an ecosystem up. But like, what are what are the consequences of? Oh, this devastating, devastating. They're taking out everything: birds, alligators. The complete ecosystem is, is shifting. Like, just think about, like, the. It, it's almost like an ecologist, not nightmare, but or you could even call it a dream in that you brought in the species that is now just wiping out native flora. It's almost like resetting a whole trophic system in the Everglades. And it's not just like. There's thousands of these things and they're not small. They're, they, they've got indeterminate growth which is what a snake is. It can grow as long as and big as it wants, as long as it's got enough of a prey base, which the Everglades has. And it's got a phenomenal climate to grow in. It's not warm. It sometimes gets chilly. No, it's devastating. Absolutely devastating. And there's nothing... It's, like, it's almost like feral pigs at this point. Right. You're never going to get rid of them. And it's not just that. It's just like every, you know, there's so much exotic wildlife in the Everglades. I've heard people, you know, canoeing in a really random part of the Everglades and seeing like all sorts of monkeys, right. chimpanzees. Right. Just it's a crazy system. And then I heard some really crazy stories about some Bigfoot encounters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're always going to have a Sasquatch involved no matter where you end up. No, yeah, I, I think it's cool. And it's, you know, as long as, uh, weirdly, my fiscally conservative mind went to a cost analysis, but if the, you can use the call, like, I, I, it, obviously, if the collar gets disintegrated by the steak stomach acid or something, then that you have to stop. No, I don't think so. I, you know, those collars, typically the box that has the GPS in it, or the radio tracker is typically, you know, quite 
quite encased in some sort of polyurethane or some sort of plastic. The only problem would be if they're if they're radio telemeter collars. So there's two types of collars out there. There's the the satellite GPS collars, which are quite expensive and bulkier. They're getting smaller and smaller. Technology is getting better and better. And then you've got the sort of um, I think they're called VHFs collars, which are the typical frequency. Whoop, antenna type collars and if that's inside of a snake you're probably not going to get a lot of return on that uh, VHF or UHF signal I remember in South Africa I tracked some darted deer in North Carolina with one of those radio telemetry collars correct uh, correct. it's also I really wish I had the address of that deer to put into Google Maps on my phone because we would have found it a whole lot faster. <laughs> yeah, so I, I specifically from a snake perspective, I know that they won't transmit out because when I was a master student in South Africa, I worked with a herpetologist there and we were doing some tracking work on snakes. So essentially, you cannot, obviously, you cannot put a collar around a snake, right? It has no neck. So you have to put the collar inside of it. And so we had to bring it into a surgical suite. We had to put it under anesthetic. Could you imagine putting a 16-foot python under anesthesia? Yeah, ridiculous. Opening its mouth, putting a tube down its epiglottis. (laughs) There's there's 10 people holding the snake. Cody, when I tell you that my arm was under the snake and from my wrist to my elbow was the width of the snake. Yeah, I'm not into that really. I'm not really. But to what I, I don't have like a snake here, but a snake that big is is. Uh, yeah, I don't need to mess. With oh, that. it's scary. Yeah, it's scary. But to finish that off, we had to put the antenna. We had to line it under the skin, so the actual body of the. GPS of the tracker, the battery pack and whatnot, was in the cavity itself, in the stomach cavity, and the antenna we ran along the skin. So, why why were you tracking said snakes? Because they were trying to get an understanding of um, territory, home range. Nobody knew anything about African rock pythons, especially big ones like that, big females and some big males as well. So. Dan Gates, um, we have you on here, my man, because Colorado's heating up, man. Colorado's got a little couple of things happening. Um, just a little thing like a wolf reintroduction happening this year um, and some several other things. So why don't we just hand you the floor, my man, and we can just talk about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, well, a lot of the things that have been working on at the legislative level, we've got multiple bills that they're trying to address that have to do with hunting and fishing and wolf introduction and compensation and uh, a variety of things surrounding lead ammunition bans. And they just passed a a house bill a day before yesterday that would allow counties to ban the use or discharge of firearms within the counties. It passed out of committee nine to four with uh, 18 potential amendments and only one amendment actually one amendment actually uh, passed which it didn't make it out of the full house 
which would have been a provision or an exception to hunting discharge of firearms for hunting or agriculture purposes. But the two co-sponsors, uh, which was uh, Senator Amabile or Representative Amabile and Senator Hawkes Lewis, the same one that ran Senate Bill 31 last year on the Bobcat and Lion Bill, mm-hmm. they are both sponsors on it. And they're, I mean, essentially they're anti-gun, they're anti-hunting. Uh, they're about anti-everything, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's another bill about corner crossings that they're trying to implement, which would give people the ability to be able to turn around and cross. Let's go back to this county bill real quick. You're saying that Fremont County would have the right on any ground within the county to ban, like, I mean, to include the San Isabel National Forest? Uh, According to the way their bill was originally written, yes. Uh, They would have the ability to be able to turn around and, and institute bans on discharging firearms in unincorporated areas where there was a a um, dwelling of 35 dwellings or 35 residences per square mile. Now, the, the, the difference in trying to figure out where a square mile was and how that actually was affected, if you had 488 acres out of 640 acres and 12 of those acres had an apartment complex with 35 dwellings in that apartment complex, essentially the other ag land or the other BLM land or the other state land in that, in that square mile, Mm -hmm. uh, they could implement because it would be unincorporated. They could implement uh, prohibitions or restrictions on the discharge of firearms. So if a guy wanted to protect his cattle uh, or if he wanted to um, hunt a deer or hunt geese on a irrigated farm, land or something i mean they could essentially take that that opportunity that right or that privilege away hmm crazy the amendment crazy. proposed was a hunting and slash agriculture amendment that made it out of committee but did not make it out of the house well they they had a, a long drawn out discussion and they they it was a complicated issue that I think they went through about three and a half hours of discussion on this one bill. And from my understanding, the speaker actually held it over because there was so much contention and so much disagreement between the, between the Republicans and the Democrats, even though the Republicans are extremely outnumbered. I mean, you know, by, by about a, a two to one margin in the house and about twice as many in the Senate. When it 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 made it out, they voted on it, and then the speaker came back in and and said that they were going to hold it over, even though they had already voted on it, which is unprecedented. And you got to understand at this level, what they're doing at the Colorado Capitol is is uh, they're not doing things in accordance with what they had tra- traditionally done. They're not doing things by the the by the way that they had uh, implemented proper procedures and protocols, whether it's parliamentary, parliamentary rules or, or whatever, they, they're kind of making up the rules as they go. And there's, there's a lot of things that people don't understand about what they're doing, but there's, there's not much consistency in it. 
And while they're trying to cross their T's and dot their I's, they're not doing a very, very damn good job at it overall. Dan, do you think that um, one of the things that – sorry, Cody, for jumping in. Did you have – you wanted to finish something on that county? Okay. Dan, is, what's, the, what's the word on the street? Are they, is there potential mountain lion is, – is mountain lions and bobcats and lynxes going to raise its head again this year, do you think? Uh, there's been assumptions and assertions that that would be the case. Uh, we believe that there could possibly be a late bill that would be introduced. But some of the talk on the street is because of the landscape that we're dealing with in Colorado and with the contentious wolf introduction component mm -hmm. that the governor is maybe asking or requesting, or maybe it's the governor's uh, significant other husband, I guess you would call him. that they're trying to maybe not make any more wildlife issues be at the top of the table, the top of the topics right now, because they're trying to get the wolf deal done. You know, they're looking at a 10 J ruling yep, yep. from the feds or looking at a, a EIS or an EA. I think they just did the EIS send out today for public comment that will close on April 18th. And that environmental impact statement a public comment period is it's a it's critical for the general public to get involved 100 percent. but between the nepa process between the eis process between the 10j process with the colorado legislature getting involved trying to do 10j legislation and other wolf compensation legislation the the thought is that they're trying to maybe not bring too much wildlife stuff on the table until they get the wolf deal taken care of and then they can figure out what they want to do. And keep in mind, tomorrow there's there's uh, commission appointments, uh, commission confirmation hearings uh, on specifically two individuals. How many so it's new actually commissions three are there, Dan? Uh, there's there's two brand new ones. One is up for re reconfirmation. Edin Vardy uh, was was on. He's been on four years. He's up for a second term. And then the two new ones, a gentleman by the name of Gabriel Otero and another guy by the name of Rich Reading. And both of those, they're contentious appointments because of the landscape, but also because of their backgrounds. And uh, when those two confirmations happen because of the setting on the landscape with the Republicans and Democrats, it's likely that they're going to be confirmed and they will further help carry out the wolf agenda which is being talked about, met about, compiled, revamped, modified, and adapted through the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission as we speak. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow evening is a, is a wolf meeting that is virtual. And then next week is the final wolf meeting, which is in person at the Adams County Fairgrounds in Denver. And that would be the final opportunity for public engagement or public comment for that wolf meeting. And the, the kicker is the theory is that with the, with these new confirmations that if they're confirmed, which more than likely they will be, then next week when they go to the wolf meeting for the final adoption or final recommendations that, uh, you know, they'll be pretty easy skating because they would have already been previously confirmed. There's one, yep. one, yep. Yep. one, one of the commissioners is supposedly a sportsman's rep, 
Mr. Gabe Otero, and uh, uh, he works for the Wilderness Society, and and he supposedly doesn't have very high recommendations from anybody because never nobody's ever heard heard of him. Nobody knows of him. Nobody in the sportsmen and women, the hunting and angling community, have any knowledge of him. Uh, interesting. So it's interesting the governor finds somebody to be a sportsman's rep, but is intimately and integrally involved as I am and what we do on the landscape. Nobody's ever heard of him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dan, wasn't there a a component of this wolf reintroduction plan that mandated the state to look at economic impacts of a wolf reintroduction? Yeah, um, that's part of the NEPA study, Rob, and uh, and the the whole process for that. I would tell you that there's a lot of other groups and entities and individuals looking at the logistics of that inquiry from an economic standpoint. And uh, there's other groups that aren't sitting idle. I mean, they're trying to figure out what is actually going to happen for the NEPA and the EIS and the 10J and make a decision either litigiously or maybe even legislatively if, if they think they've got enough clout to mm-hmm. try to alter specific mm-hmm. things of the introduction and or the plan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, going back to the mountain lion, I, I heard the same thing you did. Um, just word on the street with the changes of commission plus all the heat associated with wolves. That mountain lions will t- almost take a back seat this year and then they'll bring it hot and heavy in 24. And given the commission change, may try to go the commission route again or start the process like they did with wolves to do the same thing with mountain lions. Yeah, and and interesting enough, I mean, in June of this year, we will have three new commission appointments um, to replace three existing commissioners. And if you want to see the world turn upside down tomorrow, it'll really be potentially contentious in uh, June and July. 100%. Well, and that's why I think 2024 mountain lions through the commission is very probable because of the five. There's only five being turned over this year, right? Or is there some more, Dan? Uh, Only five this year. Uh, Actually, the the two of them were appointed last July, but then they're up for confirmation now because once they're appointed during the off session off season of legislative session then they get to you know fulfill their duties until they're confirmed or not confirmed but more more often than not once they've spent that time in there and there's not any contentious you know things to to discuss uh they're going to be confirmed especially that five in total is that would that make it seven uh that'd be five in total this year five out of 11 and and we feel like you know and the, and the kicker is the governor has the full authority to to appoint whoever the hell he wants uh but correct when you start stacking the deck and start stacking the table with particular individuals for particular reasons that have no correlation to their representation status then it then it makes you start to question you know, are you picking the right people for for the right reasons? I mean, if you got you know damn near six million people in the state of Colorado, and you look at the the crossover between some of the appointments that the governor has made, 
you know, the ag industry is not happy on some things. The the hunting and angling community is not happy on some things. Hell, the at-large community isn't happy on some things. The ones that are happy are the animal rights organizations because they're getting exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dan, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Coloradoans for responsible wildlife management. Um, yes, sir. I think it's uh, – tell me how that uh, organization came to be, what its mission is, who's involved. Give me a little scoop on that organization. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about that. Uh, I and a friend of mine, Chris Journey uh, – started that organization back at the latter part of 2017 and it was actually formed you know through irs uh, guidelines as a 501c4 in march of 2018 and uh, our vision was to try to put some sort of a footprint on the landscape that had representation for sportsmen and women you know through through a lobbying effort and the the mission of the organization is to enhance promote and defend the North American model of wildlife conservation and responsible wildlife management. That's it. Uh, we're not we're not fundraising for banquets and habitat and and issues. We don't have a membership level. It's more of a it's a pay to play mentality between organizations, entities, and individuals. And our goal was to raise enough money to have lobbying representation at the Capitol, and to also spread that out to where you had some sort of legitimate representation throughout the rest of the wildlife and conservation uh, venues in Colorado. Uh, when we got the, when we got the, we got our feet underneath of our asses, so to speak, with, with the lobbying aspect. And we are the only organization in the state of Colorado that has lobbying representation for hunting and angling issues and sportsmen and women. There's not another group that does so because 99% of them are all 501c3s. So they might be able to go talk to their legislator about something specific they can't go out and talk on a broad scale of things and we felt that that was necessary and i'll tell you with the footprint that we've made on the on the steps of the capitol and what we've made inside with full-time lobbying representation we've put a bigger back a target on our back and a and a maybe a, a red dot on our front uh because we are mm-hmm. the tip of the spear now uh, in january of last year when they introduced the lion and bobcat bill that had gone through the parks and wildlife commission three unsuccessful times in three years that we defeated i mean we knocked the crap out of them we we you know sent them back to their damn hole well they decided to go to the other level they took it out of the commission's hand and they went legislatively and uh we had two weeks to prepare and we smoked them we were told that we would probably lose two to three in the senate ag committee and we won four to one you guys are fully aware. Last year, I spoke yep. with you guys with Gaspar Paracom yep. on the on the eve of that, and uh, yep. we put roughly 350 people on the Capitol steps when it was four below zero outside, and we packed the Capitol under mask restrictions. And they opened up many, many rooms, and there was a lot of testimony from both sides, and we convinced a Democratic legislature, a Democratic Senate Ag Committee, that that wasn't the right way to go. Well, to be honest with you, that probably put a bigger target on our backs, and uh, oh, for sure, it, it it opened up the door for them, to, you know, to to look at, you know, further commission appointments and further legislative issues and further, you know, attempts to undermine the system from a gubernatorial standpoint, and uh, 
And they've been pretty damn successful at that, except for we've been successful enough to hold them at bay, hold the wolves at bay, no pun intended, and uh, and figure out how to, you know, keep keep the line, toe the line until I guess we can't do it anymore. Yep. No, I was going to say, you know, anybody who lives in Colorado, we started a we started a, a, a television network advertising campaign back in November. And since November 11th, we've run about 1,100 commercials on a very limited budget, uh, high quality uh, commercials. We've been on all network and cable television throughout the state. And it's, it's about science-based management and professional wildlife management. Uh, it's, it's about what hunting and fishing does for conservation. And we're not advertising on the outdoor channel or any of the hunting shows or anything. I mean, this is on the, the channel five news or the voice or a Kansas city chiefs playoff game or, or air America has got talent and all the hallmark channels during the holiday season. And we busted our ass to do some really mm -hmm. quality commercials, which there again, puts a bigger target on our back. But we feel that the only way that we can actually win this fight is to hit the middle of the road in the wind, 18 to 34 year old group that is the key voters in Colorado and not promote hunting. Just let them know that hunting pays for what they strive for. Hunting pays for what they like to see. And, uh, and actually I tell you, I mean, the legislatures have legislators have seen these commercials. Some of the commissioners have seen these commercials. Some of our adversaries have seen these commercials and, uh, we're making a dent, but we don't have near enough money to turn around and do everything that we want. But but nobody else, not knocking anybody, guys, but nobody else is advertising in any way, shape, or form for that. I mean, not RMEF or not NWTF. I mean, they they do they do their membership stuff and they do their conservation stuff on the outdoor channels. They're not advertising on network television. If those if those organizations 100%. would spend some money on network television, I think that we could make a significant difference, not just in Colorado, but but region and nationwide. Oh, 100%, Dan. We've got a campaign that we've built called Fire, Fighting Fire with Fire, which is exactly what you're saying. It's putting billboards up. It's putting, it's taking out ads in newspapers. It's putting TV ads in place that really has no, it, it's, it's from, a, from a Colorado uh, Wildlife Management Response Council perspective, it's, it's got nothing to do with promoting you it's promoting the lifestyle right it, there, there's no ego to it there's no return exactly. on it all the return is is hey here's the truth and unfortunately dan you're not going to get that from the other organizations because it's all about them right they want to generate money for their organizations right and that's you know we had a legislative sportsman's reception at the buckhorn exchange the old the old historic restaurant in downtown denver on the uh, 7th of February, just last week, we had 29 legislators, 29% of the entire General Assembly attended with about 100 other individuals off of this coalition group that we started that's got 21 different organizations. And I'm giving you a lot of numbers here, but you get 29 legislators in this environment, 15 of which were Democrats. Now, We've only got 31 Republicans in the entire General Assembly, so we had 14 of the 31. But to turn around and get 15 Democrat legislators in a setting that you can have a conversation with and feel that feed them wild game uh, at this reception, yeah. 
and try to promote the North American model and try to promote conservation and science-based wildlife management and talk to them. I'm not saying we're going to stop everything, but I'll tell you what, as far outnumbered as what we are in the House and the Senate, we're wanting to do whatever the hell we can to figure out how you, you know, hold the chain links together uh, and, and how you carry the thing to the next level. Yeah, and I think just what you're doing, man, changing narratives, having conversations, being able to have face-to-face conversations and be honest and truthful about things, that's the way forward, Dan. That is the, it's the only way forward. Well, I'm not saying that we know everything, but uh, sitting idle in any landscape is is not a uh, a scheme. It's not a roadmap. It's not in the toolbox if you want to succeed. And I really believe, you know, that if other states don't start paying attention and trying to be proactive as opposed to reactive, we were reactive for so long and felt a need. I mean, look, you know, everything that I've done for my entire adult life is is based around this sort of lifestyle. I, I run and operate a wildlife control business. I've been around the taxidermy and the fur buying and and the the guiding and outfitting type stuff for for you know damn near all my life. I mean, I'm 59 years old and, and everything is based on this. I criticized what we were doing mm-hmm. back in the nineties because I wasn't doing anything, but the people that were, that, that I was looking up to, they weren't doing enough. You know, it was the old adage, the old trapper mentality, the old hunter mentality. We don't need those guys. We don't, we don't socialize with those guys. We don't turn around and do those outreaches. I see some of that throughout the Western United States. And you look at what happens in California and Washington and Oregon and New Mexico last year on the trapping. Look what they've done in Arizona. This is not an anomaly. But with our governor Mm -hmm. in this state and his husband and their cabinet and their commission and all their boards and committees and commission appointments, uh, people around the country who are concerned about these things better wake the hell up. Because I tell you what, when when and if we fall, they're not going to stop here. They're going to the next damn state. Uh, and they've already been oh, for very sure. successful in some of the other Western states. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. I'll say that totally I, think, I think what you're doing uh, with CRWM um, is, the, is, is, is the ticket. Right. Like the, the fact that there's full time lobbyists, the fact that there's that you're running commercials, which is something I mean, I've told you this before, Dan, that's a thing that we have a plan to do. Um, have a campaign, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting on the edge of launching um, a project, you know, kind of a little bit n- not on a big I don't want to say it's a bigger just spread out more as opposed to just centralized in uh one state but uh that fighting back in the mindset and views of the public is uh and you know i i love the fact that you said you're not running it on the outdoor channel right because i think that some of the more traditional membership based conservation organizations do actually make some really good commercials about the work that they do um and then they run them on the outdoor channel um and you know i i don't know that that does any good except for maybe pick up a few more membership donations for them 
Um, anyway, I, it, I'm a big fan of that organization. I got it, you brought it to my attention. Um, I think that you're some type of a. I don't understand your dedication. Maybe I think maybe you've got a little bit of OCD or psychosis or something going on. As hard as you work at this, I'm applauding <laughs> you and trying to make a joke at the same time. Um, but uh, that 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 organization, in my opinion, um, especially as a resident of Colorado, or for anyone that anyone else that's in Colorado or has any interest in hunting Colorado, um, you would have a very time very hard time convincing me that you're not wrong if you haven't given uh, CRWM Save the Hunt Colorado is the uh, website and there's a donate button on there it's not about membership it's not about banquets it's about running ads to uh change public perception and paying real full-time lobbyists and actually getting things done and uh anyway that's that was one of the reasons that i wanted to have you on is i think that's a i think it's an organization that's that's actually fishing and cutting bait not just sitting around talking about it yeah, and as Cody was talking about your acronym, I com I realized I completely butchered it. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's that's all right. I mean, you know, it, I don't know, I don't know how long we can keep afloat in states like this. I don't know how long we can keep, you know, trying to hold things at bay when there's a specific agenda on the landscape, and it's not. It's not society as a whole. Society as a whole is is pretty benign and pretty ignorant about what it takes. I mean, you know, look look what I do for a living. People don't know where their water comes from. They don't know where their power comes from. They don't know how things are generated from snow snowfall and where it goes down to the river and how it irrigates into the fields and, and and what it takes to manage wildlife and what it takes to manage natural resources. And 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 I'm not saying everybody's ignorant, but they they don't pay attention to things, and they damn sure don't pay attention to things that don't affect them. 99% of the people drive cars, everybody has a light switch, everybody's got a water tap, but not everybody hunts and fishes and not everybody understands the mechanism of what, what makes that work. But the people that don't want us to do it, they understand what, what it takes to make it work and they don't want us to do any of it. Mm -hmm. It's not the fact that we harvest too much, mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the fact that we harvest any. And, and all we're trying to do is help to hold the line until either the pendulum sways one direction uh, without knocking us off the, the podium in the other direction, and that you can figure out a way to educate about the importance of conservation and science-based wildlife management and the North American model of wildlife management. And, 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 and I tell you what, you listen to any one of these anti-groups, and they are trying to demean, erode, and degrade the North American model. Why? Because it works. Anything that works and is going against them, they will try to turn around and take away, and they won't stop until, they're, until they accomplish it. They have endless supply chains of money, and they have endless participants to do so. And it's not about duck hunting, it's not about elk hunting, it's not about trapping coyotes, and it's not about, you know, trying to wear a fur coat or have leather garments or be able to shoot guns. It's the fact that we do what those organizations hate, and they found a, a money chain that they can turn around and push and poke and prod until they can get people to jump on the bandwagon with them. So Dan, this is what I will say today 
and you can write it down. We promise that we are coming to Colorado in the end of this year, beginning of next year, which is perfect timing, with the premier Lion Houndsman documentary that's ever been filmed, period. It's got nothing to do with hunting. It's got everything to do, to do with people and dogs and their hounds and them talking that way about them. And we're going to do it right in that when we come to Colorado, knowing full well, again, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we, we dot our I's and we cross our T's, that we engage you and we engage Gaspar and we engage the people that are in the know to say, okay, how do we strategically do what we can with this film? We will go on a film tour of Colorado. We will hit the major cities, open the theater up, pay for the theater space, let people see this phenomenal documentary, build infographics or, you know, poster boards that showcase wildlife management in the state of Colorado, the dollars being generated by hunters in the state of Colorado. We will take this roadshow on the road at the end of this year, beginning of next year, so that we have and give you guys a runway to say, okay, here's, here's our, a, a different side to what you think we are. We, I can promise you that's happening, and it's coming. It's going to be a good one. That sounds like a phenomenal opportunity, and we'd love to partner with you. Yeah, Dan, I can, I can, I have got so many ideas, and I've already spoken to one of the biggest, like the anchor, is the Outdoor Channel has a owns a theater complex in Denver, Colorado, and they are one hundred percent in on utilizing that facility. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited so, to go to Denver and watch people's reactions when they see it. That's that may, oh no 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 we're, we're we're keeping Cody in the you know no free Cody no hashtag free Cody. Cody will be there. Cody will have a microphone too, whether Robbie wants it or not. <laughs> I tell him exactly what I think. Dan, you know, else, and and, and briefly, if I might interject something here too, Cody, Cody, you and I spoke about an event that we're doing in August in Florence, Colorado. Uh, it's called Outdoorsman Days, and that's on August 11th and 12th. And it's a it's a comprehensive, broad region. Yeah. So so anyway, the Outdoorsman Days is August 11th and 12th in Florence, Colorado, and it's a it's an outreach of outfitters and hunters and anglers and sportsmen and women and. I'd like to be able to give you guys some additional information as we move closer to it, but I think it's something that Blood Origins and every individual in Colorado should pay attention to. And it's not going to be like the state fair, and it won't be like the stock show or anything. But but the bigger, better, meaner, faster, stronger that we can make it, and and actually get some buy-in. We've got significant sponsorship already and significant participation that's been uh, allocated for it, and uh, we'd like to be able to include you guys in that. That whole aspect of that thing. Well, Dan, Lionheart will be ready by those dates. 
There you go. Let's figure that out. I'll make the long drive. It'd be great. It'd be great. You'll make the long drive. You live in Florence. Yeah, yeah. No, it's about, it's about 11, <laughs> seven miles. It's about 11 miles. That's Pathfinder Park. Hey, there's a cool little theater. I mean, it's not a gigantic venue, but there's a cool little theater in Florence. Why don't we debut it at that event in Colorado? Let's rent the theater the out and let's, let's do about- this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Rialto. That would be awesome. Get get you and Avery on that shit. Come on. I'll have, it, I'll have information for you tomorrow. I'll go down there. I'll, I'll plow through this snow and go figure out what we got to do to rent the theater. We got you, Dan. We got you, and you're going to have something okay. amazing, my man. That'd be, that'd be badass, guys. It really would. Uh, and, and I'd like to have you guys as part of the, the planning of this whole process of what we're doing on this, because I think... I think with the connections that everybody has and if they pull the resources and collaborate together, we can do a lot of neat things, uh, not just with us sitting here talking, but uh, we don't do a very good job of networking. And you mentioned this before, Rob, the, the organizations are all partners, but they're all competition for the same people because it's fundraising, it's banquets, it's, it's receptions and it's, you know, membership and it's magazines and, you know, there's a group that we formed underneath of the, the Coloradoans for Responsible Wildlife Management, and it's called the Colorado Wildlife Conservation Project. And Gaspar and I formed that last year on the, there again, on the eve of Senate Bill That's 31. Right. It's, it's 21 organizations, including the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership and National Wild Turkey Federation. I mean, I could, I could go on and on. National, regional, and state organizations that are partnering together. Now we don't agree on everything, but we, we agree that the enemy is a common enemy. And that if we don't figure out a way to bring our source sources and resources together, it's kind of like, you know, I, I use this analogy often and it's, you know, how Braveheart was where, where he turns around and unite the clans. Well, they didn't all get along either, but what we're doing on our level and what we're trying to do is make sure that we don't fight amongst ourselves about the stuff that they're tearing us apart from. We don't turn around and let them drive a wedge between what we are doing. Uh, we can handle a lot of these differences ourselves, and we do sign-on letters, and we do, we do you know, weekly meetings now during the legislative session, and there's 25 or 30 people every week on, this, on these damn calls, these Zoom meetings. But we don't let those things tear us apart. We all formed this coalition to make sure that we became stronger, not weaker. And the Coloradoans for Responsible mm-hmm. Wildlife Management helped establish that. I like it. I like it. It's a good plan. I'm excited. I appreciate your guys' willingness. Dan Gates. I am too now. And you said it live. You said it on a recorded thing. So uh, I'm going to get some information tomorrow. We're going to have a we're going to have a film debut in Florence, Colorado. Listen to me. I you don't you don't know this, but I've been talking about it for the last two weeks, trying to think through like how do we debut this? Like where do we debut it? It's almost like a soft launch. What would be the best place to do it? We've got Coloradans in Lionheart talking about lion hunting. Frickin' this is the place. Absolutely, and we'll actually, you know, it with outdoorsman's days. Yeah, and and just just on a, on a on another note too, it it goes in conjunction with the area where the where the world's largest lion study is still taking place, north and south of the Arkansas River, 
and and that lion study's been going on for the last five and a half years, and it's got another three and a half years in it. Florence is right dab in the middle of the world's largest lion study. I got oh, that's an epic. I got uh, three days ago. Um, I could hear them baying up behind my house. They treat a cat and uh, that study did and, and darted it and collared it. Yep. And I could hear the dogs from my house. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, it's, it's, it'll be the most comprehensive mountain lion data research program on the planet. And I can tell you that the governor's personal uh, friends would prefer not to have that data and his staff would prefer not to have that data. Now they might act like they want it, but if it comes out to prove some of their falsehoods or fallacies wrong, then that's something they don't want. Uh, and you know, we're, we're just in a, such a confusing landscape here, what people are trying to accomplish and, uh, politics should not be part of wildlife management. And, and now wildlife Amen. management has been deeply drug into politics. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. How about that? Now we're going to premiere it in a place where the world's largest mountain lion study is happening. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. A Dan study Gates, I'm is, turning into a pumpkin. Hold on. It's a study that's using a <laughs> Cody lot knows of I'm turning into a pumpkin as well. A study that's using a lot of hounds to track those cats and put collars on them as well. Exactly. Amen. Exactly. Dan, thanks for joining us, man. I knew it would be good, and uh, we have a great producer that will make it not seem like we had no internet problems whatsoever. I'll send you guys some information in, uh, on some of these other issues, and then I wanted to, uh, uh, if if we could, mention to you guys that. Uh, there's some videos that will be coming out that the Colorado Trappers and Predator Hunters Association and CRWM have helped participate in with Parks and Wildlife. I will send you that stuff on fur bearer management and actually the studies and the data that go along with that. They've they've been delayed in release because of a variety of different political reasons, but now they're going to finally be released in the near future. I'll send you that stuff and it'll substantiate and help to justify some of the things that we're talking about. Yeah, excellent. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Perfect. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan Gates. Thank you very much, guys. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. See you guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.